enjoyed that worship. Would you let them know how much you appreciate that? Glory, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, bro. Love you, buddy. Amen. Thank y'all so much. Children's Church is gathering to my left. If you're right, the choir comes down. Miss Cindy is prepared to meet you. So, Children's Church, you can go ahead and make your way. Invite all children to come be a part of that. And uh, so just make your way, even now as we speak, get ready for Children's Church. Hey, do you believe his name's Mighty today? Boy, I do. You know my favorite part of that song? Of all songs, I kind of got a favorite part of a lot of them. My favorite part of that song is when it says, There will be a holy roar as the saints sing through our Lord. Can you imagine what that's going to sound like? Just think for a minute, use your sanctified imagination. What we consider glorious music on this side will sound like bees humming in a drum compared to what it's going to be like on that side. Amen? God is good. Take your Bible and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 as we continue our journey through the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, we're looking at verse 1 through 4 today. Uh, something I wanted to share with you that I found this morning um, it's just been rather interesting to me and I printed it off and I shared it with our men in our prayer room this morning before Sunday school and I thought it was interesting and even carries along with what we'll be talking about today whoops excuse me I got a change right here look at that that thing works real good when you put it in the right place amen amen it goes along what we're talking about uh, here in Colossians 3 1 through 4 I found this article this morning, and the title of the article um, is called Putin's War Against Ukraine May Have a Spiritual Religious Foundations in Good Versus Evil. I don't know if that's crossed your mind, but it's crossed mine many times the past several weeks. But this article um, really captured my attention on some things that I want to share with you to introduce what we'll be talking about this morning. It says the fuel behind President Putin's rage against Ukraine probably has more spiritual and religious foundations than most pundits have acknowledged. For religious leaders, the war in Ukraine is a top concern, and for faith leaders in the media, the conflict is not just about politics. A gentleman named Dirk Smith who is the leader of the Eastern European Ministry, was at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention this past week in Nashville. And he said that Russia's invasion of Ukraine is a spiritual matter. He said that his organization has supplied millions of Bibles to Ukraine's public schools. I didn't say private schools, and I didn't say schools affiliating with the churches but the public school it says in Ukraine they did this and here's why they did though the Ukrainian government has recognized the value of teaching the Bible to young impressionable minds how about that Amen. Now you say well that's pretty good it goes further <laughs> he said the relationship gives Smith insight into the Ukrainian spiritual mindset, his relationship with them. He said this, he said, Ukraine, to some extent, 
is kind of the Bible belt of Eastern Europe. They have been pushing Christian values and they have been standing up for God for a long time. They have become a beacon of light for quite some time now. Wow, how about this novel thought that when you read the word of God and you embrace the truth of God, it transforms you for the glory of God. Amen? Do you know that the first Sunday schools that were ever established were established by a man named Robert Rakes? You know, like the rake in the yard, right? Robert Rakes. And Robert Rakes established Sunday schools to teach little boys and girls how to read. But the only literature he had available to teach them how to read was the Bible. So the little boys and girls start learning to read and they read the Bible and as they learn to read the Bible, guess what happens? They start getting born again. <laughs> start getting saved, repenting of their sins and trusting Christ. But I'm telling you, I still believe that the word of God has the power to transform a hell-bound sinner into a glory-bound saint, amen? So I'm excited to share with you today from Colossians chapter 3. And I really want you to know I poured my soul into what I'll share with you today and I pray that today that the word of God, wherever you are, if you're not a child of God, that today you would be, by the spirit of God, convicted of your sins and you would repent and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. But if you are a child of God and you're on your journey, I pray that the word of God will impact you in such a way today that you will leave here differently than you showed up that your heart and mind will be more in tune and more focused on giving God glory from your life than when you woke up this morning. Colossians chapter 3, if you found your place and physically able, would you stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of God's word, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. The words are on the screen and also on the front of your worship guide if you need them. The Bible says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. God, I pray today that you would help me to articulate what you have burned into the marrow of my bones. God, that your people would see very little of me and a whole lot of you. That those who have come here today searching for some peace, may they meet the Prince of Peace who gives peace that passes all understanding. And may you be glorified through our worship today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Today I'm speaking to you on living the transformed life. At this point in our journey through the book of Colossians, it's abundantly clear that the Apostle Paul is emphasizing the preeminence of Jesus Christ in the life of every child of God and in the church body as a whole. The first two chapters that we've traveled through are filled with some wonderful truth about our Lord Jesus and about our need to know him personally and intimately. But in chapter 3, Paul continues to drive home the importance of the preeminence of Christ. 
It's the theme of the whole letter. And he does so by speaking directly to the church about the new life that they now have in Christ Jesus. They no longer are living the old life in the flesh. They're living the new life in the spirit. They no longer live for themselves, but they are living for the glory of Christ as people whose hearts and lives have literally been transformed from the inside out. I love that passage in Romans 12 the first couple of verses Paul said this he said I beseech you therefore my brethren by the mercies of God that you would present your bodies living sacrifices unto God which is your reasonable service the words reasonable service also translates your reasonable act of worship amen Verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. I believe today far too many people are seeking to conform, even in the church, maybe seeking to conform to a set of rules without allowing God to transform them from the inside out, I might remind you, through a relationship with him. It's all about the rules and not about a relationship. See, because we have been transformed from the inside out, there are some godly characteristics that I believe should and must be present in our lives as children of God based on what we read and understand from the Word of God. You see, when someone conforms to a set of rules, they do so from the outside in. Kind of like the little boy I told y'all about one time. I might have been, I might have resembled this little guy in elementary school. He kept standing up when a teacher told him he needed to get in his seat. You know, you used to could either get in your seat or they'd tear your seat up. Amen. I'm not talking about your desk either, right? But getting your seat, and the little boy kept standing up. And finally, she came over there and said, "You're going to sit. You're going to sit down, or we're going to take care of you, and we're going to get you down to the principal's office." And we're going to make sure you understand what we mean by getting in your seat. Little boy finally sat down. He sat down for a little while. The teacher came by and said, you sitting down like you're supposed to. Feels good, don't it? He said, no, it doesn't feel too good. She said, but you are sitting down like you've been told to. He said, yes, ma'am. He said, on the outside, I am sitting down, but on the inside, I am still standing up. Amen. <laughs> I resembled that guy right there. I conformed sometimes out of fear, Ray, of uh, what was coming, not because I wanted to. Some people try to serve God out of a fear of not keeping the rules instead of a faith that leads you to a relationship with him that you realize, yes, he has a holy standard, but he is a loving God who wants to know you personally and intimately. He wants to affect your life from now to eternity. No, there are some who outwardly appear to be changed, they're resistant from within, which often will lead to rebellion. See, true transformation gives birth to something. It gives birth to a love relationship with a holy God that produces some lasting spiritual fruit. And that's what we're after, aren't we? We're after fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and fruit that remains, according to John 15. So as we do that today and we talk about living the transformed life, I want you to walk through these verses with me. And let's live some truth from the word of God today, how you can live the transformed life, how I can and how corporately we can to make a difference in the world around us. First thing Paul talks to us about here is a holy pursuit. 
Notice the first word of verse 1. It's a big old word. It's two letters long, and it's probably one of the biggest two-letter words in the world because it has such profound meaning. It is the word if. He said, if you were raised with Christ. So that's a big if. Here's what Paul recognized. He recognized that it was very possible for someone to appear to be a Christian and not truly be born again. I mean, I told you last week how I used to be intimidated by the fancy-dressing preachers with the little hankies that match their tie and all that kind of stuff, and I didn't have anything like that, and I'd be intimidated, and finally I had to realize that I just had to be me, and they had to be them, and I couldn't be them, they couldn't be me, and that's all right. You, you can have a fancy hanky that matches your tie. You, you can have a big red letter indexed Bible I call the big boomer, the big thumper, you know. You, you can appear to be. You can have your Sunday school quarterly stuck in there between Sundays. You can do a lot of things that appear to be Christian. But if you really belong to Christ, here's what Paul says. He admonishes believers to seek or pursue the things that are of God which have eternal value. First thing he talks about is personal devotion in verse 1. You read it. If you have raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 63, 8 where he said these words. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Here's what he's saying. I know when my little girls were little, I, you know, you take them somewhere and and you were always conscious of where they were. My girls weren't real bad about running off. It might be because they knew somebody tear that seat up. But anyway, I don't know. But nevertheless, I just, they stayed with me. But I always kept them with me. And most of the time they'd follow like real behind me and they'd hold my right hand. Anybody with me? Anybody with me? And you know what? They would follow close behind me because they knew that I was their protector I was their provider. I was the one that was going to get them some chicken nuggets. Amen. And I would hold them with my right hand. Here's the word picture. Here's the way God is. He is leading us. We are following him. We are close behind him. And he holds us with his right hand. Amen. So what is Paul talking about in verse 1? He's speaking of our own personal faithfulness to the Lord. And as he speaks to the church as a whole... He is speaking clearly to each individual member to be faithful in seeking the heart of God. Oh, if I can ever help you do anything in this life, if I can ever help you with anything in your walk with God as a child of God, I want you to hear me, church. I want to help you fall deeply in love with Jesus Christ. I want to help you be closely and intimately related to the Son of God and God the Father. And I want to see you faithfully seeking after the heart of God. Here's what A.W. Tozer said. He said, we pursue God because and only because he has first put an urge within us that spurs us to that pursuit. Did y'all hear that? The only way you have the ability to pursue and follow after God is he put an urge within you and spurred you toward himself. Wow. Oh, he goes on further. It gets better. This is like an infomercial, but there's more, right? Listen, the impulse to pursue God originates with God, but the outworking of that impulse is following hard after him. He said the impulse to pursue him it starts with him. 
It doesn't start with us. He puts it within us and then it works itself out. It's kind of like a splinter. You ever got a splinter in you just couldn't get out? Oh, give it time. Your body's saying all the time there's something here ain't supposed to be here and it's working it out and it's working it out and then you give it a little help with your pins and peroxides, right? No, no, but hear me. He's working out of us what he has put within us and that is an impulse to follow hard after the heart of God. Oh, help us. You know what Tozer's saying? He's put within you a desire and an urge and what you must do is you must feed that desire with the right kind of fuel. People laugh at me because I'm a little weird about some things and don't anybody say amen right there, okay? No, it's okay. You can, you can. Because y'all weird too. We all got our quirks, right? But when I put gasoline in my Kubota lawnmower and I put gasoline in my Honda four-wheeler, when I put gasoline in my weed eater, my power saw, or any small engine, I do not put gasoline in it that contains ethanol. You say, hey, you're paying a little more for that. Well, it's already so high we can barely go to town. Amen? But I mean, do you know why I go to the extra extent to pay more to put 100% gas in my small engine? You know why? Because I want them to keep running. And I know it's good for them. And I know it won't gum up all that ethanol. Y'all didn't know I would do all this stuff, right? Look at, I know, and I will go the extra mile. I will pay the extra expense. Oh, hear me? But what about your relationship with God? Everybody just wants to give God their time and effort that's left over instead of their best. Thank God when it came to Calvary, he didn't give us the leftovers. He gave us his only son. God help. I'm a little fired up today. <laughs> Some of the little boy, I'm never years ago, he used to come up to me and say, Brother Brent, I think you wake up fired up. I said, well, it takes a minute now. It didn't used to, but it takes longer than it used to. Notice another thing in Holy Pursuit is on the screen. Not just personal devotion, but a purposeful desire. Verse 1 uses the word seek, which deals with our heart for God. But verse 2 says, set your mind, which deals with the battlefield of our mind. It involves who and what we spend our time doing, where we spend our time going, as well as what we allow into our minds. Oh, boy. I want you to think for a minute. The Bible tells us that it is Jesus speaking, that it's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. For something to get to my heart, it's got to travel through my eyes or my ears. It's got to get through my mind before it can take root in my heart. So it's been there a while by the time it gets to our heart. We've got to capture it in our mind before the evil and the ruthless and the wicked thoughts take root in our heart. Verse 2 deals with the focus of God's children. It's kind of like now, I remember for 49 and a half years, I'd go to the eye doctor and I could read the paper from here to Aniston. 
I, I mean, my family would be upset because I'd get a good report from the eye doctor. They all like, we can't see. We want you to not be able to see with us. I said, somebody's got to see for y'all. But anyhow, and at 49 and a half years old, I go down there one day and I take my little test and the doctor goes, hmm. And then he writes a little more on his little iPad. He goes, mm hmm. And I'm wanting to know what all them hmms mean. He said, well, looks like you're starting to slip a little. I thought, no, put that chart back up there, you know. He said, no, no need to do that. But what happens is, and these kind of lenses, when you first get them, they'll make, I'm not a drinker by no means. I'm a teetotaler, 100% abstainer. But if, if being drunk is the way these glasses made me feel when I first got them, I don't want to be, amen? That's not a fun feeling. <laughs> Some of y'all have experienced that, right? You're getting a little queasy just thinking about it, right? No. You see, prior to March 2020, our minds were already being bombarded with an overwhelming amount of information on a daily basis. Satan was looking for and using every opportunity he could to fill our minds with senseless and ungodly things right before us. But since March 2020, we've witnessed an influx of even more opportunities for Satan to attack our minds through all types of media. You see, when you set your mind on the things above, the hymn writer said the things of this world grow strangely dim. Since that time, you know, we've experienced lockdowns. We've experienced times where people were, were quarantined for long periods of time. And people, when your minds get idle, Satan really ramps it up. He attacks men, he attacks women, he attacks young people, he attacks all people. But I'm here to tell you today, he will stop at nothing to get to you. He will tempt you in the area of your appetite and he is in no hurry to ruin your testimony. I always remember what John MacArthur used to say about how you can tell, how you can recognize a man of God. He used to say this, it's not on the screen, but I'll just say it quickly and if you miss it, I'll go, you, you watch the tape, you can see it again, okay? He said, a man of God's known what he flees from, what he fights for, who he follows after, and who he's faithful to. Now, I'm going to say it again. A man of God is known by what he flees from, what he fights for, what he, who he follows after, and who he is faithful to. Again, Tozer said this in his book, The Pursuit of God. It's an old one. Tozer died in 1963. And when you read these quotes, you think, if this brother was still alive, he wouldn't be welcome in many churches. They'd run him off for telling this kind of truth. Look here. He said, I want to deliberately encourage a mighty longing after God on the part of the people of God. He said, the lack of this mighty longing for God has brought us to our present low estate. He died in 63 eight years before I was born, and he was saying we were in a mess then. Hello, right? Look here. He said, the stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of a lack of holy desire. 
Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth and acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted, Tozer said. Did you hear that? He's waiting, church, to be wanted by the people he purchased with the blood of his own son. He waits to be wanted. Here's what Tozer said, didn't he? Too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so very long in vain. Wow. Tozer said he's waiting to be wanted. Church, what is going to have to happen in God-blessed America for the people of God to want and long and pursue the heart of God as he desires? I was reading this the week, David Jeremiah, the National Review was his source. He gave some startling statistics that I'll share more in the weeks to come. But he said there's four things the New Testament tells us to flee from. And like I said, these are not on the screen. I'm sorry, I didn't. I should have gave these to Miss Tina and I didn't do it. Four things the New Testament tells us to flee from. The New Testament tells us to flee idolatry. The New Testament tells us to flee youthful lust. The New Testament tells us to flee materialism. And the New Testament tells us to flee sexual immorality. Four things the New Testament tells us to run away from. Remember when we studied Joseph? Y'all, it hadn't been that long, church. All right, help me. Remember Potiphar's wife? She cast longing eyes at Joseph because he was a handsome man, but she just failed to realize one thing. The scripture says that the Lord was with him. Amen? And as she came after him and continued to seduce him, he continued to put off her advances and continue. You know what he did? He ran from her. Sir, I'll tell you today, if there's an evil woman trying to mess with your heart and mind, run from her. Ma'am, if there's an evil man trying to mess with your heart and mind, run from him. Get away. Use your life to honor God and not dishonor what Jesus did on Calvary. It's a holy pursuit. I got to move on. Okay, I got a lot to say in a short time. Okay. It's not only a holy pursuit, but it's also a humbling portrait. Did you see that in verse three? Let's walk through that real quick. For you died and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's humbling, isn't it? It reminds us, this verse, of who we are and what our purpose is. It's a humbling portrait because it shows us two things. One, that shows us a crucified life for you died. You died. You say, well, I'm still walking around. No, no, but you got a new life, a new purpose. It's all different when you come to Christ. And when you come to him, you die to yourself so you can live for him. Y'all know one of my favorite verses, Galatians 2.20, where Paul said clearly, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He lived the crucified life. Crucified life involves two things. It involves being delivered from a sin debt. And I put both of these up together. It also involves being dead to sin's dominion. Let's talk about the sin debt. Young people, I want you to know there was a time here in Cleveland County when we didn't have the internet. (laughs) There was a time when we didn't have cable TV. Amen. There was a time when we only had a few channels. 
But one of the things I remember is there was a time when you didn't go on the internet and pull up your checking account and pay your bills through your checking account on the internet. You didn't buy stamps and mail them. Your mama put you in the car and she run you to the power company, run you to the telephone company, and run you to the water department, and you went in there with your little bill and your little check, and you went up there and you paid that bill so the lights, the water, and the gas, and the telephone would keep working. Amen? I still remember City Hall Water Department used to be at the very back of City Hall. Y'all remember that? You got that big desk back there. And I'd go in there with the water bill and the check to pay it. And my mama would tell me, you go straight in there straight out because she knew there was a chance that I could probably get into some mischief between the front door and the back door. So I went in and I remember they'd come up to the counter and how you doing today? You give them your bill and they'd take this big old stamp. You know what he used to say, Ray? Paid in full. That meant that I could take a shower for 30 more days. <laughs> to which my teachers were glad. Amen. No, 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 no. It was paid in full. That meant not part of it, not a piece of it, but absolutely all of it was paid. The entire bill was paid. Do you know that's what Jesus did? When he died on the cross, he literally paid the sin debt of the world. Look here. But it can only be your gift if you will receive the offer that he extends today through the gospel. It says, whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely that he'll never thirst again. Come to Jesus. He paid your sin debt in full. Dead to sin's dominion because Satan no longer has dominion over us. We can now fully live because we died. But until you die to yourself, you can't fully live for God. And notice the second thing with me. Not a crucified life, but it's also a concealed legacy. Boy, this jumps off at me. Your life is hidden in Christ. Y'all have heard me make this statement before that I've met a lot of preachers that can strut sitting down. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And y'all know some people like that in all vocations, walks of life. I just think it's sad when men of God don't walk in humility and walk in pride and things like that. It's just, it's painful to me, and it should be. But I was thinking about from this verse how that should be impossible for a Christian to do is to strut around as though we're somebody when all we are is a bunch of nobodies who ought to be telling everybody about somebody who wants to save anybody, amen. But I wrote this down this week and I thought it, it's impossible to strut when you walk with a limp. <laughs> you know the reason many Christians, especially leaders, are strutting around today in arrogance and pride? I'll tell you why. It's because they've yet to, been to, be, yet to be fully touched by the hand of God or by life's experiences that bring humility to our hearts. They're strutting because Ain't nothing caused them to walk with a limp yet. When I read in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you're familiar with the story of Jacob. Boy, he was quite a strutter, wasn't he? He strutted around. He swindled everybody, cheated his brother, lied to his daddy. I mean, he was a mess. I guarantee you, Jacob, the rest of his life, he never forgot the night God touched him. 
Every day, the Bible tells us the rest of his life, he had a daily reminder that he literally walked with a limp after the night God touched him. Oh, the apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was quite a strutter, wouldn't he? The Bible said he made havoc of the church. He was on his way to kill more Christians when Jesus met him on that Damascus road. He, he was quite a strutter, but he'll never forget the day he got touched by the hand of God. Three days and three nights, he couldn't see, didn't want nothing to eat or drink. He walked with a limp the rest of his life. And in excuse me, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, he talks about how I had this thorn in my flesh and I asked God to take it away three times and he wouldn't do it. But I learned that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. Oh, Jacob walked with a limp. Paul walked with a limp. We know our old buddy Peter, he kind of strutted around a lot too, didn't he? He's kind of confident in himself. He was downright a cocky disciple. But you know what he did? He went so far as to even declare his extreme loyalty to Christ until the rooster started crowing. Amen? His lack of loyalty was exposed. He abandoned Jesus while he was on the cross. He was in hiding while he was crucified. Oh, but Peter was restored. Peter was in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. He won't forget the day God touched that room, will he? Oh, and when God touched that 120, and they had a worship service like we've never experienced, and old Peter stood and preached the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 souls added to the church that day. Oh, Peter never forgot the day that God touched him. You know what he did? He walked with a limp the rest of his day. I'll be very personal with you. Let me tell you about Brent. All right? See, it's easy for us to talk about Paul, Peter, and Jacob. Kind of, you know, they're safe stories. We know how they start and end. I'll never forget. About 12 years into my ministry, I was convinced I was a failure and didn't need to be a pastor. God allowed me the privilege to be around some people for about 15 months at the Atco Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia that not only helped heal my soul but they helped restore to me the call that God had placed on my life. I had no moral failure in my life or nothing like that. There wasn't anything of that nature and I wouldn't say tell you it was. It's just God had to get my attention. I bet many of you today can remember the day God got your attention. See, when you're his child, he can discipline you. He can correct you. You say, well, I see all the devil's kids out here just having a big time. And while I'm trying to walk with God, he's, he's straightening me out and strapping my leg. Well, he don't waste his time whipping the devil's kids. Amen? You're his kid. You're his boy. You're his girl. So here's what God did. I can remember it as clear as day. February the 11th, 2006. I was in my living room one early one Saturday morning. Brooke would have been less than six years old. She would have been six to June. And Caitlin was about 12 years old. And I went in and put in a DVD in my DVD player. And I was asking God, God, are you done with me? God, is this my life? God, am I ever going to be able to do what I believe you called me to do? God, what am I supposed to do? What am I doing? And I put in this DVD of a concert of Phillips, Craig, and Dean. I love Phillips, Craig, and Dean. They're some of my favorites, right? 
I got to see them live in concert at First Villarica when Caitlin was a little girl, and they just humble guys, love Jesus, and produce some wonderful Christ-honoring music. And I put that DVD in, and I was watching the concert, and I was just, and all of a sudden they started singing this song. And the chorus said this, when he ran to me, and he took me in his arms, held my head to his chest, and said, my son's come home again. Lifted my face. He wiped the tears from my eyes. And with forgiveness in his voice, he said, Son, do you know I still love you? And I literally broke down. Y'all know I'm not a big crier, so this had to be. And I began to weep uncontrollably. My children and my wife were still asleep. They're not morning people. And I was trying to be quiet so they wouldn't hear me. Hey, Dad, y'all with me? Oh, we, we don't want them to think we'd ever be weak, do we? We're rough, tough, hard to bluff. But all of a sudden, Angie came out, and my girls saw their daddy. Weep. That morning, I believe if I ever heard the voice of God speak into my soul, I believe I heard the voice of God, the Holy Ghost, speak into my soul and said these words, Now, I've got you where I can use you. <laughs> hey, hear me. That morning, I didn't know what was ahead, but I'm telling you, it was an emotional day. And I've got, got us through, but can I tell you this? I believe from that point forward because God said, I've got you where I can use you. Let me say this to you, church. I started walking with a limp that day. And I've walked with a limp ever since because the thorn in my flesh is the fact that simply this, God reminds me what it, through many different things. He reminds me of my weakness. He reminds me of his strength and he reminds me as Paul learned that our strength is made perfect in his weakness. We have no strength of our own but we must rest in his. Oh, today may be the day that God touches you and you quit strutting around and you start walking with a limp. I want to tell you something. I'd rather walk with a limp for Jesus than strut for the devil. I got to tell you about this last verse so y'all get home and say, I can't believe he didn't tell us about that. <laughs> Notice verse four. When Christ, who is our life, appears. That's what they used to do. I remember them old camp meetings in Ray. They'd get all fired up, and that old song leader would go, shh, remember that? And there'd be a few preachers on the front, and a few in the back, and a few sisters up front, and they'd go, shh. He said, listen, when, you, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also, oh, this is some good news, church. You also will appear with him Where? Not only is there a holy pursuit and a humbling portrait, but he also talks to us about a heavenly place. Here's some good news. A crucified man who has died 
and lives his life hidden with Christ in God. You know what he does? He has the promise that he will live forever in the presence of the one who paid his sin debt and purchased his eternal life. Two things. This heavenly place begins with a glorious appearance. When Christ, who is our life, appears. You know what Titus, how Paul wrote to Titus about it? Here's what he said. He said, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul told the church at Thessalonica that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, he said, I fought a good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. And then he says these words, henceforth. You know what he's saying? Because of all those things, I'm not looking back on that. I'm looking forward to what's ahead. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all those who love his appearing. Wow. Why do you say that? There's going to be a glorious appearance someday, church. You know, everybody I know today, preacher, do you believe what's going on in Russia and Ukraine is some signs of the end? And what I would say to you is I've been looking at signs all of my life. And I'm kind of like old Adrian. I quit looking for signs and I just started listening for the sound. Absolutely, what you see everywhere in the world today is headed toward a culmination of where Jesus Christ comes and takes his church out of here. Great tribulation comes of this world. Absolutely, these things are playing into the hand of God. Everybody's tried to refuse and refute the Bible. It is being fulfilled before our very eyes. But what I'm saying to you today is, is what you must do is make sure that you are looking for that glorious appearing. And then finally, <laughs> it's a glorious experience. This is my favorite part. Where are you at, brothers? Then you, oh, wait. All God's children, those who have received Christ as Savior, repented of their sins and trusted him alone, not had an emotional experience, not went into a baptistry as a dry lost person and came out a wet lost person, but somebody who has been transformed from the inside out. You, hey you, when he appears, guess where you gonna appear? With him. <laughs> you know, I don't like heights. But I got a feeling that day it won't matter. No. What does the Bible teach us? Well, the Bible teaches us much on this subject. You can read in Acts chapter 1, verses 9, 10, 11 about the ascension of Christ at 40 days after his resurrection when he ascended back to the Father. A cloud received him out of the sight. Those disciples were there. They were looking up in the heaven and two men came by and said, Oh, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into the heavens for this same Jesus that you see taken up from you today shall so come again in like manner. He's coming again. We don't need to spend our time gazing. We don't need to spend our time worrying. We need to spend our time believing, listening, and looking for the blessed hope. John said in 1 John 3, 2 says this. He said, Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we do know this. 
when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So here's my question. When you read Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about a lot of things that are bad. But in verse 18, he says, I do not consider the sufferings of this present time worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So my question to you today is this. Are you walking with a limp? Through this world, as we head toward home, can people see the Christ life manifested in you to where you're not living for yourself or being empowered by yourself, but you are living for the glory of God and you don't care if the world sees your limbs? Amen. Many people are like, well, that might be a sign of weakness. Let me help you. You are weak. This body you're in, it's aging. And this earthly tabernacle body that you carry, you're walking around in, it is in the process of being dismantled right now. Amen? Paul called it a tent or tabernacle. Yeah. You are weak. That's why I love Keith. I thought about when you were singing. First time I heard Jesus, what a mighty name. Charles Billingsley. One of my favorites. I like old Charles. He's quite a gifted guy him sing that with a choir first Jacksonville years ago I thought about another one of Charles' songs it's probably my favorite Charles Billingsley song so when y'all see Charles in concert you can say my pastor said this is his favorite song of yours and he will have no clue who you're talking about but yeah that's alright though I don't have to be known I just want to make him known one of my favorite Charles songs is this song called Willing to Be Weak And the chorus is this. Lord, I'm willing to be weak, a faithful seeker of your heart. To know your healing, I will be broken, an empty vessel in your arms. And if that is what it takes to bring me to my knees, Lord, I'm willing, I'm willing to be I really believe, and I've been doing this a long time, but I really believe the key to God blessing a life or God visiting a church in revival is for people to be willing to let him touch them to where they'd walk with a limb. And to be willing to say, God, we can't fix this. We can't do this. But you can. The spiritual ills of this country and the church will not be fixed by the newest fad or program or thing that comes along. They will only be rectified when God's people bow humbly before him, acknowledging our weakness and calling on him for his strength. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We can't express to you enough just how much and how deep our love is. But God, right now, 
I want to thank you for the days and times you've touched my life. You've made me aware of my own weakness. And I thank you for allowing me to walk with a limp, keeping me reminded of where I've been and where I'm headed. Through that, Father, you are faithful in every way. God, my prayer today for this invitation is, God, that you would touch the lives of your children today. And if there are any of us, starting with me, any of us that are trying to be self-sufficient, if there are any of us that are being prideful, and not allowing you to have full and complete reign of our lives. God, if we're walking in our own strength or in our own wisdom or knowledge or understanding, God, I pray you'd strip us of that today. And God, I'll just be honest, I pray that more of your children today would walk here with, leave here with a limp. Because I believe you can use a limping man to change the world. You took 12. Nobody else would have chosen. And you used them for your glory. In this room today, Father, there are men, women, boys, and girls who I know are of great benefit to the kingdom. Their benefit can't be fully realized until we submit heart and soul to you. God, we pray for lives to be changed and for the glory of God to be revealed at this invitation time. I pray it in Jesus' name. Our heads about eyes are closed, and here's the invitation. In just a moment, we're going to stand, and we're not going to sing a word. We're just going to stand and be still in the presence of the Lord. As we stand, we'll stand with our heads bowed, an attitude of prayer. But if God has spoken to you today, sir or ma'am, or young man or young lady, I want you to know that you are one blessed person. That of the seven billion people on this planet, a holy and sovereign God would call out to you. And as God is speaking to your heart today and you sense that moving and stirring I'm going to invite you to make your way to an altar today right here in the front I don't want you to be ashamed I don't want you to be embarrassed nobody's going to do a thing in this world to embarrass you I just want to plead with you to come to Jesus to bring your burden to the Lord if it's, if it's a burden of not knowing that you have eternal life and that you're a child of God, I plead with you to come. I'll be glad. I'll see you all afternoon if it takes it because I care about your salvation more than anything else in this room today. But if you're a child of God, you'd say, boy, I'd go pray. But I know how people talk. Worry about them. What they think about you has no bearing on what God knows about you. 
You say, I, I know I've, I need to get things right with God and I need God to touch my life in a supernatural way that I could be of greater usefulness, but, but I've got all these other things I need to do. I got all these other tasks and all these other, none of those matter. If you're a child of God, you know what matters more than anything is your relationship with Him. Because everything you do and every relationship you have is based on the health of your relationship with God. I just want you to know today, wherever you find yourself, Jesus Christ is the answer. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray briefly and then we're going to stand. And when we stand, if God has spoken to your heart and the music will play and nobody will be singing, I want to invite you to just step out from where you are into the nearest aisle. Church, we need to be praying for others. Maybe, you, maybe, you're, maybe you're walking with a limp and you know the benefit of walking with a limp and you want to come pray that God would help others to know what you know. That'd be a good thing to do. But whatever God is speaking to your heart about today, please don't leave this building without giving us opportunity to help you in your relationship with him. Father, speak. And as you speak, may we hear, receive, and respond. And may you receive glory from every decision that will be made. In Christ's name, amen and amen. As we stand, our heads about, our eyes are closed. Just music playing. If God has spoken to your heart today, I invite you just to come find a place. Church, we need to pray for God to move in revival. Maybe you're praying for that. You come as God speaks to your heart today. We'll wait just a little while. screen. You come as God speaks to your heart. Of course.
with me there as we pray together. Lord, we just want to thank you for who you are. We want to thank you, God, for just being the sovereign and holy God you are. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the all-sufficient Savior that you are. And, oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for speaking and moving and guiding and directing our lives, bringing conviction where we're wrong and leading us into right relationship with God the Father. Lord, we thank you so much for the day you've given us. I thank you for Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, that is the letter to the church at Heflin today. To get your mind on stuff that matters. Get your mind on things of eternity. Set your affection on that which will outlast you because you die. Your life's hidden with Christ. I'm coming again. He's going to take us home. Oh God, thank you for your word today. We bless your holy name for all you've done and how you will use this time, this word, and our worship to continue to work in the lives of people once we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you thank the Lord Jesus for speaking to us today? Amen. Thank you. Be seated. While you're being seated, our ushers are coming and receiving our morning tithes and offerings. And while they're coming, I'll just mention a few quick things so that we make best use of our time. Uh, choir is this afternoon at 4.30, so don't forget that choir, folks. And if you're interested in being part of music ministry, I know Marty would love to see you today. Uh, this week, if it's just a few, we don't need many, but a few. Joseph, raise your hand right there. It's my buddy Jojo Hunt. He is local mission coordinator extraordinaire. That's what I'm calling right? But uh, Joseph is helping me a lot with our missions team on local things. And uh, one of the, our locals this week is for our bus drivers and our central office staff. Don't you appreciate bus drivers? Somebody say, hey, man. And sometimes they can get overlooked and forgotten about and all that kind of stuff. But what a job they've done, especially the past two years. And, man, I tell you, just uh, putting themselves at risk and, you know, just, just keeping things going. And it's just been great. So we're providing a breakfast for all of our bus drivers and our central office. And in May, at, the, at our board education office, and in May we'll have staff appreciation week at each of our five schools that we serve and minister in. So if, you, if you've got a little bit of time on Tuesday morning, we just need a few volunteers, what is they two or three, maybe Joseph, uh, just a few early, six o'clock for about an hour, six to seven on Tuesday morning. If you could do that and you'd like to help Joseph, just catch him on the way out today. And he'd say, well, look, I didn't get there in time. Somebody got ahead of me. Don't worry, in May, we're gonna need lots of help. So we'll be in touch with, we'll be putting that stuff out. But this is a great way just to let those folks know they're not forgotten. You'll see also other announcements. Please pay close attention to those. RC ministry is next Sunday at 3 o'clock. Uh, Tim's going to teach me how to fly a drone, so y'all watch out. I'll be flying over the, all over town. But anyhow, but uh, turn a drone. So anyhow, that'd be great. So don't forget that. Uh, Easter Sunday schedule is there for the 17th. Don't, if you got any questions, Welcome Center, we can help you. Missions Conference, our folks from Utah are coming in. That's there. Bible Reading Marathon, if you haven't signed up for your time, please go to that link and sign up for a time to read in our Bible Reading Marathon May 1st through 5th here downtown Ross Park. And 
all kinds of good stuff. Uh, this week, of course, we did get our our um, prayer guides for Annie Armstrong uh, North American Mission Board uh, offering. Use that prayer guide to pray for this week. We'll be taking that offering here on April 10th. There's also announcements in there about Miss Lauren's uh, uh, wedding shower. Robbie, boy, I tell you, these are tough, ain't it? You know, I like them boys that took my girls, but I don't like them that much. Amen. I, I do. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I do, and I'm thankful. And we're praying for Lauren Landon's. They get to, to announcement about their showers also in your bulletin. Don't forget that. And y'all always do a great job making our young brides feel special. I want you to know y'all bless my daughters tremendously, and I appreciate that, and y'all do that for all of them, and I appreciate you so very much. But hey, this is our opportunity to worship through giving. So as we give today, let's give from our hearts. Trusting that God's using it for something greater than us. Amen. Opportunities to touch the world for Jesus Christ. So let's bow our heads together and ask God to bless our giving. There's a plethora of churches. One of the constant things that we kept hearing was new church. Why do we need a new church in this community? We already got a bunch of them not doing nothing. In this neighborhood, I mean, there is a lot of homelessness, prostitution, fatherless homes. The world has changed. Sin has increased. There's more crime. There's more drugs are prevalent. It's not a secret thing anymore. My family and I bought a house in the community and we moved there in the community. So the people that, that we wanted to reach, we were living amongst. We would set up um, on a Sunday, bring our own church, bring a barbecue pit, some chips, some hot dogs, and we would have worship service in the neighborhood park. And we just began to live there, love there, serve there, and people started to come. When we see people submitting to discipleship relationships, when we see people surrender their heart to Jesus, when we begin to see the neighborhood beginning to change around us, like that's when we just know like, like we're, we're doing this right and we wouldn't change it for the world. But it's gonna take all of us working together to ensure that, that, that lostness is being addressed in our communities. It's the body of Christ. There's someone in Tennessee, they may never come to the inner city of St. Louis, but they can give and contribute because they believe in what we're doing as a body, as an entity to help us to get to that next level. We just gotta work together. We can do more together than we can do apart. This, of course, is another one of the 32 sin cities, just like our partnership in Salt Lake City, uh, of cities that are identifying of lostness greater than 98%. So uh, 
we went to St. Louis when we was in mission, uh, mission serve and we, we could see there's a great need there. I thought I was going to need surgery there. If you ever go to this place called City Museum, uh, please, I want you to know you're taking your life in your own hands. Uh, it was supposed to be a fun place for kids, but when I went in and they were handing out free ice bags, that should have been an indicator that, that this was not going to be good. But anyhow, we survived and nobody had to be surgically flown with a medevac. But anyhow, it was interesting. But nevertheless, do you know? notice that he said there's a lot of churches that are here they ain't doing nothing. I know that's not good English, but, but it gets the message across, huh? Well, that's not going to be us. Amen? Well, you know, I thank God for church planters. I thank God for church planting in areas that need it like where we're at. But even though I want you to know whether you've been around five years or 500 years, if you'll submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ completely and totally, he can use you. And he can use this church. And he's doing it. Amen. He's doing it. And we're not going to be the ones that ain't doing nothing. We're going to be at it. So, And we're going to support our brothers who are because, like they said, they're reaching people we'd never know. And uh, however God uses them to do that, we want to be a partnering with them. And your gifts through the Annie Armstrong offering here on April 10th help brothers just like our brother in St. Louis continue the work he's doing, okay? So just want you to know that. I want you to know, as always, before you leave here, that I love you and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Amen? All right, don't forget uh, what we gave our announcements earlier. Look forward to seeing you Wednesday night at 6 for everybody. And I'm telling you, I'm just grateful to God for the opportunity to serve him with you. Amen? Let's stand together. Where you at, Martin? Marty's going to sing us out. Let's have a great